Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We're all plugged in, ready to go. Tim Spreen on the other side of the glass, giving me the thumbs up. Tim, how are you tonight? I didn't see you with a, uh, a can of Red Bull. Do you have one? Oh, there it is. All right. Tim always has... We have to get you an endorsement deal for Red Bull. This, he, this is like mother's milk to Tim. I have never seen him without a can of Red Bull. How many cans of Red Bull would you drink uh, during a shift? Just give me a finger. Just one? You're down to one. Because it's late. Because it's late. All right. All right. Be kind to Tim when you speak to him on the phones tonight. Tim Spreen, my technical producer. Hey, always feels good to begin the program by introducing a new affiliate. And tonight we uh, we go into the heartland of America, to Iowa. K-R-O-S-A-M 1340 Davenport, Iowa. Very pleased uh, to be added to their roster. Uh, Davenport... Iowa, I believe, um, home to St. Ambrose University and uh, nearby Clinton, Iowa, home to uh, Ashford College. And they play a lot of baseball and basketball in St. Ambrose and, and Ashford. So thanks, AM1340, for giving uh, the uh, Conspiracy Show a try. We'd love to hear from listeners in Iowa in the coming weeks, and you can say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. Now, of course, up here in the Great White North, it's hockey. Uh, not sure what it's like where you are right now, but up here we're in the uh, the midst of uh, of winter, and uh, so most weekends you're going to find me at the Thornhill Community Center out on the ice with the Twins, who are uh, already streaking around the rink playing tag, and I'm happy to report spending more time on their skates uh, this year and less time on their backsides cleaning the ice. Dad's not too bad on the skates either. I'll have you know, Tim, at the age of 49, I've got some wheels still. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, first of all, my first guest, he's a filmmaker who's going to join me in just a few minutes, but one of his best friends, going back to his days in high school, uh, happened to be one of my favorite comedians, the late Bill Hicks. And regular listeners to the show will know we play some clips from uh, Bill Hicks on the show from time to time. But filmmaker Kevin Booth is not here to talk about Bill Hicks, although his new film is about something Bill Hicks talked a lot about, and that was the hypocrisy of the longest declared war in U.S. history, the War on Drugs, now in its fifth decade. A war declared back in the early 70s, maybe 1971, by President Richard Nixon. And what has that war gained us? Hundreds of thousands of people dead, really, perhaps more. I mean, I think just last year in Mexico, 40 or 50,000 people as a result of these drug turf wars between cartels. The carnage has just been unbelievable. And has it done anything to stem the flow of drugs into the United States? No. You look at the, the number of, of people that have served time, now have records, their lives blemished by criminal records for nonviolent drug offenses. And on and on it goes, all because of this failed drug war. Kevin Booth is an American film and video producer, director, musician. He's best known for his work with the late comedian Bill Hicks, as I mentioned, who was the subject of his book, Agent of Evolution, published by HarperCollins UK. Hicks and uh, Kevin knew each other since their time together at Stratford High School. Booth founded Sacred Cow Productions in 1986 and has since explored such controversial subjects as the Waco Siege and the New New World Order. The company's most notable release, American Drug War, The Last White Hope, which explores the failings of America's war on drugs. And he's got a brand new film, entitled American Drug War II, Cannabis Destiny. Saw the film this weekend, blown away by it. Riveting. You must see it. And we'll find out how how and when you can. 
Uh, in the meantime, we welcome Kevin Booth to The Conspiracy Show. Kevin, how are you? Doing good. What's going on? Thanks for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. And it was uh, a great meeting you uh, up near Studio City this uh, past December. Thank you for welcoming m- myself and my crew into your home. First of all, congratulations on American Drug War II. The subtitle, Cannabis Destiny. One of the things that popped out at me in the film was, and, and many people you know, may not, most people won't remember this because you'd have to go back to your grandparents' day, but there was a time when cannabis oil was something you'd find in just about every medical doctor's kit bag, medical bag. When did that all change? Well, I mean, basically when they when they outlawed it, and you know, as we cover in the film, when the Rockefeller came through and created all these medical foundations, and he basically, you know, uh, people didn't realize Rockefeller was the world's first billionaire, and he came through and took the focus of medicine off being all plant-based, which it had been, you know, previously and made it all chemical-based. And so instead of plants being, uh, medicines being based on herbs, you know, and plant nutrients that heal, it's all based on chemical poisons that kill things. And, you know, so that's, you know, starts right around 1913, I suppose. And and cannabis oil, back then, doctors knew that it was, what, an anti-inflammatory? It could be used for what, what sorts of things? It, I mean, that's just it. It was a very wide range, and that's why a lot of people in recent history kind of poo-poo on it because we think that everything that should be allowed into the modern-day pharmacopoeia has to be some very specific thing, and that's one of the problems with the modern-day pharmacopoeia. You know, it, cannabis oil is good for headaches, menstrual cramps. It's anti-inflammatory. They use an antibiotic. It was... Uh, used for depression, sleeplessness, you know, nausea, every, you know, this huge wide range of things. And that's why, why some of the people that roll their eyes at legalizing marijuana as a medicine, you know, one of the ways that they, they doubt it is to say like, oh yeah, just it's like this cure-all, you know, where, you know, really it is. I mean, there really can be, it really is possible to have one medicine that does, that serves a bunch of purposes. It's the people that make money putting out these millions of different things. So when you open your medicine cabinet, you know, it's, you know, I open my medicine cabinet and I've got like 5,000 different little bottles. It's crazy. You know, like you have to have like a little, some sort of pill for each little ailment that you get. It didn't used to be like that. Uh, part of the film obviously is, is, is dedicated to exploring the idea of, of cannabis or, or cannabinoids and, and uh, how they can heal and prevent illness, something that we knew about and then seemed to forget about. Um, and, and I want to explore a little bit about that now, but that's not the, the, the be-all and end-all of the film. Uh, you also talk about just the hypocrisy of this, uh, this war on drug and the violence that, have, that has ensued. And, and I know that you were down in, in um, a hot spot in Mexico, Juarez, Mexico, across from uh, El Paso, Texas. We'll get into that a little bit later as well. Kevin Booth is with us, and his new film is American Drug War II, Cannabis Destiny. Now, Kevin, the film opens, and this is a real heartbreaker. Um, you, 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 um, you introduce us to a, a young family uh, out of Montana that has a, a young child named Kashi with stage four brain cancer. Uh, just without giving away, obviously, everything that happens in the film, but just tell us about the dilemma that this family was facing. Well, um, at the time, uh, little Cash Hyde uh, was uh, two years old and diagnosed stage four brain it's what they call a peanut tumor. It's the size, the size and shape of a peanut inside of his brain. 
Uh, he was rushed into the hospital. He had all kinds of strange diagnoses before and going down a bunch of roads. But once they did the CAT scan and the MRI and they realized, okay, it is a brain tumor, he was rushed down to uh, a, a big medical center in Salt Lake City where they performed uh, emergency brain surgery, high-dose radiation, uh, high-dose chemo. And, you know, due to all these harsh treatments and all these and just this really aggressive um, line of treatment they did on him, he went into a coma. And he was uh, did not eat for almost 40 days and lay there in a coma. And basically the doctors started preparing the parents, uh, Mike and Callie, to basically telling him they needed to start planning a funeral. And um, at the time, Mike was researching a Canadian man by the name of Rick Simpson, who had basically retweaked an old recipe for cannabis oil, the cannabis oil you're talking about just a few minutes ago, but he had kind of like upped it to modern day standards and found a way to make it even more potent and plus using the more powerful marijuanas that we do have today that have much stronger cannabinoids and CBDs and a much more focused, much more powerful way of doing it with modern-day solvents and chemicals and just just a process that really wasn't possible even 100 years ago with plants that weren't around 100 years ago, uh, way more powerful. So he was able to uh, get his hands on some of this oil, and this oil is not easy to come by. I mean, you have to take a pound of you know, very, very top-grade bud to just come up with, you know, a handful of syringes of this oil. It's very, very concentrated stuff, very powerful. I mean, if you just put uh, the the amount of, like, a grain of rice in your tongue, it's like dripping on acid. It's so strong. It's it's just unbelievable how strong this stuff is. They, um, you know, being told that their son had days to live, they snuck some syringes of this oil into the hospital where their son was laying in a coma, and they started pumping small bits of it into his feeding tube, the feeding tube that just goes directly into his stomach. And not the not the chemo tube, but the feeding tube that goes into his stomach. So it would ingest through his system. This is why he's laying there unconscious. Literally 24 to 48 hours later, he's out of the coma and he's eating and then up walking around in days. And the entire hospital, doctors, everybody, you know, was basically saying it's it's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And when the time came a little bit later, when the hide sprung it on to the hospital staff, like what this miracle was really all about, that, you know, you, you'll, yeah, you're right, it was a miracle. It was a miracle of cannabis that you know what hit the fan. And that's kind of where the story starts. Right, because now, as we learn later, the state of Montana, I believe, voted to ban medical marijuana. They had legalized it, and now... There was people coming back and saying that the people that voted for it didn't really understand what they were voting for, and so they're putting like a repeal. They're, yeah, they're they're putting a ban in place to repeal the law that they had put in place, and so they allowed you know a small number of patients. And it never you know medical marijuana. I mean, this is Montana. I don't know if you've been there, but it's very conservative. It's very you know it's very sparsely populated. You know, I'm from Texas, and it's. Uh, it's it's the closest thing to Texas I've ever been to. It's like Texas of the North. It's very conservative. So it's not it's not like Montana turned into Venice Boulevard or something like that. You know, like it is here in Los Angeles, completely crazy and out of control. You know, okay. we're we're talking about 
a couple of dispensaries. We're talking about you know just very small amounts of people using it. Not All some right. big, let, crazy, out-of-control thing. It was very conservative. Kevin, let me just jump but, in here. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back and continue to delve into American Drug War II, Cannabis Destiny. Stay with us. I think it's interesting the two drugs that are legal, alcohol and cigarettes, two drugs that do absolutely nothing for you at all are legal. And the drugs that might open your mind up to realize how you're being f***ed every day of your life, those drugs are against the law. <laughs> Coincidence? <laughs> See, I'm glad uh, mushrooms are against the law because I took them one time. You know what happened to me? I laid in a field of green grass for four hours going, my God. I love everything. Yeah, now that is a hazard to our country. How are we going to justify arms dealing if we know we're all one? The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Kevin Booth is with us, American film and video producer, director, musician. The, mu- the movie is American Drug War II, Cannabis Destiny. And the film explores uh, claims that cannabis oil can be used as a preventative and a cure for diseases. I mean, I don't even think these are claims anymore. These are scientifically proven. Um, but I think what's more important is that they can prevent and cure certain diseases with zero psychoactive side effects. And as I point out in the film, that's something the government and the pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know about. But more than that, the film also examines the over-medicating of our children. We'll get into that with Kevin Booth in a moment. And the court-ordered mind-altering drugs used on foster children, something he knows about firsthand, because he's going to reveal as a foster parent how he was forced to give prescribed drugs to his own foster daughter or otherwise be decertified for not following court orders. Kevin, we were talking about medical marijuana. There are about, what, 18 states now in the U.S. that have legalized medical marijuana Yes, I think I believe Massachusetts was just the, the latest, and then like we were just talking about that, uh, Montana took a took a step in the wrong direction. But even still, you have even in California, uh, which we tend to think of as this mecca for medical marijuana, you still have DEA officials. It doesn't seem to matter what the states decide. For example, Colorado and uh, another state was it Washington uh, basically decriminalized or made it okay for recreational use. It doesn't seem to matter what the states do. The feds basically say, well, we're going to prosecute anyway. And even with these medical marijuana labs, they're being raided and such an important herb being taken away from people that are suffering horribly. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I, I got to be honest. It, it'd be real easy for me to, to jump on that bandwagon really hard. But, I mean, at this point in California, for you to get raided, you've, you've got to be making a lot of money. You've got you to expose yourself. You know, it's, it, it's kind of like the... The feds have been beaten down a little bit. Now, now, do they selectively prosecute people for various reasons that kind of match their own interests? Yes. I mean, is it still completely horrible and corrupt? Yes. Is there a lot of things going on that are, you, you know, yes, 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 and good people go to jail and so forth and so forth. But, you know, in a, in a way, I mean, California is the mecca for marijuana, you know, although it's uh, Colorado, you know, it's, it's almost like when I go to like the Colorado dispensaries, it's, it's almost like stepping into a Whole Foods, whereas all the the L.A. dispensaries are more like the old head shop or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. Um, one of the the arguments against legalization has been, uh, and again, I think you, you do a nice job of sort of laying waste to this idea in the film, and that is that smoking pot. Uh, like smoke, you know, it, that, that's inhaling smoke from an herb is the worst way. 
uh, to deliver a medicine because you used to say that smoking marijuana can increase your chances of getting lung cancer, just like smoking a cigarette. But you do a nice job, uh, or the people that you interview do a nice job of really disabusing of that. Uh, of that. Can you explain? Right. Well, there is, uh, you know, Dr. Abrams is a head oncologist at San Francisco General. You can Google his name, Dr. Donald Abrams. Um, him and, and uh, Dr. Courtney are two of them, you know, and Professor Robert Melamy of Canada Science from Colorado are some of the, the, the bigger, stronger personalities of the film. Um, there is a, a study done uh, that I believe they studied 50,000 people over 10 years, and um, part of the group smoked only cigarettes. Another part of the group smoked nothing. The other part of the group smoked marijuana and cigarettes, the other part of the group only smoked marijuana. So you got these four groups out of 50,000 people. Um, the people that smoked nothing had a higher rate of cancer than the people that smoked just marijuana. There you go. And so the people that smoked marijuana only, the people that only smoked marijuana had a lower uh, incident of uh, lung cancer than any of them. And, you know, it was not statistically real significant, but it did show an overall trend on a very large number of people over a large amount of time. So it's, you know, it's basically showing that, you know, uh, consuming cannabinoids and not not overdoing it. Of course, if, if, if you're a, a smoked, you know, if you're the kind of guy that's smoking 10 joints a day, et cetera, et cetera, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, like burning things in your lungs is not good for you, but it's showing that like a good, small, steady flow of cannabinoids into your system basically does lower your chances of getting cancer. And uh, add to that uh, another important find from American Drug War II, and that is that the U.S. government took out a patent uh, on these cannabinoid oils. Explain what that's all about. Right. I mean, you know, but in 2006, the FDA put out an official press release stating that medical marijuana had absolutely no medical benefit. But in October of 2003, uh, the, the federal government, basically represented by the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, took out a patent for uh, cannabinoids as a neuroprotectant and antioxidant. And, um, you know, basically, you know, you just Google it. If anybody out there is listening to this, just Google uh, 2003 uh, patent for cannabinoids and print it out and put it in your glove box and, Next time you get pulled over for smoking a joint, just show the cop to say, look who you're working for. <laughs> this is who you're working for here. Now, just uh, because, uh, ex- <laughs> explain the, the significance. for In order for a, for a government agency to take out a patent on something, what, I mean, uh, they, they don't just do that willy-nilly. Obviously, they would have conducted certain studies or they have to show some efficacy, or how does that work? Yeah, I mean, there, there has to be proof that um, that it works. I mean, it's a long, slow process, as anybody knows, and... and, and uh, um, you know, what's, what's so corrupt about it now is that, you know, you're finding out that our government is basically dealing behind the scenes with pharmaceutical companies and trying to control who is going to be able to make all the money off of this thing. And, and really the danger that, that I see happening is that the pharmaceutical companies want to tear the plant down into uh, 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 all these little components and sell us all these medications like we were speaking about earlier about they don't like the fact that one medicine can be used to treat everything there's no money in that especially when you given the fact that people can grow it now there's zero money 
so what they're you know basically the whole problem is is that in order for the FDA to uh, uh, process and, and pass a drug, it has to be patented. Like nobody, like in other words, no pharmaceutical company is going to process something to the FDA process unless they can patent it because they're you know they wouldn't make any money. So in order to patent something, it can only um, have so many, it can only have, I think, five compounds or five cannabinoids. It's very limited. And the problem is, is that the, the modern marijuana plant has over 60 cannabinoids, and you can't patent that. You can't patent a plant. So what they're having to do is they're having to, like, tear it down into pieces and patenting little bits and pieces of it. And meanwhile, the Department of Health and Ser- Services is back there, uh, you know, running around trying to, 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 like, make deals with all these pharmaceutical companies. And what's interesting on this Montana deal that I just discovered is that in Montana now, you're going to have to get your marijuana card from, drumroll, the Department of Health and Human Services. Hmm. It's, it's, it's ridiculous because I'm hearing you describe this. So in other words, the, the, until, until such time as, as the government and the pharmaceuticals can figure out amongst themselves how they can get in on the action and profit from it, Marijuana is going to remain uh, a Schedule One drug. Yeah, and the scheduling thing, you know, I, I think a lot of people get, you know, a, a lot, there's a, a lot of people, this big movement out there, people who say if we could just change the scheduling, then everything will be okay. But, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of experts and said that's just not true because uh, if I went and started making my own Vicodin and selling that, I would get arrested just as I would for Schedule One. So... The fact that it's Schedule 1, Schedule 2, Schedule 3 is not totally what's going to be changing it because it's still a controlled substance that you're not allowed to, and you're still not allowed to, like, manufacture or create your own controlled substance and, and sell it. Um, so the whole scheduling thing is a little deceptive, maybe on purpose. I'm not sure. Well, it, yeah, it, it won't solve the problem. You're right, but de- uh, on scheduling it, but... It, it, the fact that cannabis or marijuana is up there with with uh, crystal meth and heroin and cocaine in that same category uh, just again yeah, no, speaks they, volumes they, yeah, of the they, they purpose, yeah they purposely done that which is basically just old propaganda to uh, really what it is is just a, a category of everything that they can't make money off of is really all it is right they've taken here's all the drugs that and it has to do with all the money because if there wasn't millions of people buying and selling marijuana, if there wasn't billions of dollars trading hands, they wouldn't really care, obviously. But they care so much because there is so much money. And again, and this is covered in the first drug war film, that if you take marijuana out of the entire drug war equation, 70% of the whole drug war is, is gone, and you're not going to have the, the money to support all the prisons and, and all these people who make a living uh, prosecuting people, the court systems, private prison industry, on and on. And so without marijuana being a part of this whole illegal drug pie, the pie is not big enough to support this huge industry that's been created. Yeah, it's become a make-work project for uh, you know the local constabulary and, and various other agencies because, as also as you point out in the film, uh, you know a lot of these people now, you, there was a time when you know you could do life for possession of a couple of seeds. Uh, but now it's just, uh, you know, you might be uh, uh, charged and processed and then you're out on the street. But even that, that's keeping police employed. 
Right, and I think one of the interesting things, too, in the film is, you know, we're talking to the guy that was uh, working on the Obama administration, and he's saying, you know, these guys, and another guy that worked to help uh, beat Prop 19, which was when they almost legalized recreational in California, and he's making the point, like, look, our prisons are not filled with marijuana users, you know, so it's a bunch of bull that, you know, that, that marijuana users are filling the prisons. That's just not true. And I think the the answer to that, I believe, is said by Dr. Robert Melamy from Cannabis Science in the film, is that uh, it's like, well, if it's if it's if you're not going to send the pr- people to prison, then why are you arresting them? Like, why are you arresting 800,000 people a year if you're not going to send them to prison? You know, and other so it's really just welfare for law enforcement. It's just you know what I mean. It's just it's, it couldn't even be more obvious. If you're not going to prosecute these people, then why are you arresting them at all? Right. Well, this all, maybe on the surface, seems somewhat innocuous, although denying, for example, uh, a cannabis oil to, to, to cancer patients uh, is, is not innocuous. I mean, that's just evil. But uh, I want to get into the other um, huge cost, and that is just in human lives. The number of people, uh, in, for example, in Mexico that were killed last year as a result of the, this drug turf war between cartels, was it what? What's the number? Forty or fifty thousand people well, murdered. I think the, the number is something around fifty-five thousand in the last five years. So I believe the is kind of the the, the stat that's um, passed around. And uh, so you went down to uh, Juarez, Mexico, which is across the border from um, El Paso. What is significant about Juarez? Why Juarez, Mexico? Well, it's just such a a powerful uh, drug route, and I was wanting to go somewhere that's outside of. California, we're trying to, you know, basically trying to make the point a little bit too that that uh, because um, something I was trying to prove, and I don't really know if I totally tried to prove it. You know, sometimes you in documentary films you set out to prove things, and 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 you could, and if you want to be a certain kind of filmmaker, you can pretend like you proved it through narration and B-roll. But I try to keep it honest, so I'm not 100% sure I proved this point. I got a lot of experts to weigh in and agree with me, and I tried to show footage and so forth. But one of the ideas I was trying to prove was to show how, uh, because California has legalized, and there's so much good marijuana in California. I mean, California is saturated by good marijuana, where, like, there's really no, there's no way, there's, like, the cartels can't be shipping their crummy weed across the border through Tijuana anymore. So the crummy weed coming out of Mexico, and it's not all crummy, don't get me wrong, but it's, it, there's no way it's as good as California. Um it, it's it's all pouring in through Mexico through Arizona, you know. It's coming through that way, so that's that's one of the reasons. And and basically, Juarez has just become it's not you know obviously the only place, but it's it's become known as one of the ground zero for all the cartels fighting over the the route coming in that way. And it's when you, I just basically you know I, I drove back to uh, Texas for the holidays, and it's a it's a huge pass. I mean when you when you drive through like that overall. Pass. I mean, it's it's. We're talking like hundreds and hundreds of miles of just open desert land of where you can cross. Uh, so the Gringo Pass. The Gringo yeah. Pass. And a lot of these drug runners, you interview one in the film who says that they're basically they get help from from people on inside the the uh, some of these drug enforcement agencies. They give them these um, transponder. Yeah. Well, that's tra- basically. Yeah. He was saying that there's an actual route that pilots call Gringo Pass that comes up through uh, Tucson. Um, basically, you would, you know, if you're a pilot, you would take off out of Tucson and fly through I think, Nogal, the Nogales Pass, and they call it Gringo Pass, and what Gringo Pass is, it's not 
really, you know, an exact route on a map, although it, it kind of could follow like a certain, you know, like through this mountain range, et cetera. Um, but what it is, is it's like you, you go to, you take this one certain route and then they give you like a specific transponder number. Let, and sorry to jump in, Kevin. Thing, sorry to interrupt. I got to jump in. We got a break coming up. We'll come back. We'll talk about Gringo Pass and American Drug War II. Kevin Booth. Right now, today, there's so much violence today, not because people use drugs, but because they're illegal. That's why, you know, the people who benefit the most by all these laws, these are the drug cartels. They lobby to keep these laws in place because they can't exist without them. They're, you don't have the alcohol pones now because you don't have prohibition of alcohol. Prohibition is what is bad. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. Kevin Booth from Sacred Cow Productions is uh, with us talking about his new documentary film, American Drug War II, Cannabis Destiny. First, uh, before we get back to Gringo Pass and how some of these uh, these pilots that are flying the drugs into America from places like Juarez, Mexico, are being helped from the inside by drug enforcement officials. Uh, tell us how we can see the film, when we can see the film, Kevin. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, you're kind of like ahead of the pack if you want to know the truth, because we're, we're still working out the final, uh, sets of distribution. We're most likely going to have a small theatrical release, it's looking right now. Um, probably, uh, first week in June will be in at least 16 cities simultaneously in theater. So I'll, I'll keep you apprised of that and, and hopefully we'll be in Canada as well. Well, if there's anything so I can it, do. It'll, it'll be, you know, once it comes out on video on demand, it'll be, you know, it'll, it'll be everywhere on all the, on all the cable channels and video on demand outlets, everything like that. But there, there will be a small little theatrical run to start it off. Well, if there's anything I can do to help uh, you come up, up, up here and screen it up in, uh, in Toronto, the good, you let me know. Um, I can uh, help plug you into some channels as well. So, that sounds uh, awesome. I would love to bring my wolf dogs up to Canada. <laughs> I, think, I just think it is so important for people to see American Drug War II. Um, so you know, we'll, we'll, we'll speak about that um, in the future, but uh, back to Gringo Pass and and uh, these. To me, you know, the idea that that uh, these drug runners are being aided and abetted by by people inside drug enforcement agencies is, uh, you know, it's it's just off the off the charts. Uh, and and you were saying that they're giving them these these pilots are getting these secret transponder codes to uh, to avoid surveillance. Right. Well, you know, this is not a new story. I mean, this story dates. You know, this has been going on forever. Vietnam War, Iran Contra, it's been going on through, you know, through uh, the war in Afghanistan, through people bringing heroin over. So, you know, that's the problem. Wherever there's money to be made, wherever there's big amounts of easy money to be made, people are always going to go go for it. I mean, I can't say that I blame them. You know, when, when when you talk, you know, people talk about like, oh, did the, the CIA really bring cocaine and all that? Well, it's just certain people decided to do it. And you, you give people that have the ability to fly over the border to be able to bring in a shipment. Somebody, some guy who, who makes $50,000 a year can, can make $500,000 in one day. Um, you know, I mean, how, how is it not going to happen? Of course it's going to happen. And so, yes, I mean, it's the same story over and over again, and it's going to continue to be the same story as long as uh, prohibition is in place, because prohibition is basically making worthless plants more valuable than gold. And so, you know, as long as that's, that's 
in place, uh, this this behavior will be in place. And it's not, it has nothing to do with stopping the drugs or stopping like, what's fueling the drugs or the need for drugs. That, that's a whole other that's a whole other chapter. Let's move away from cannabis and, and talk about another deeply disturbing aspect of, of what's going on uh, in North America, not just in the United States. It's going on here in Canada, and that is the, the over-medication of our children. Uh, and I know that, you're, um, uh, that you and your um, lovely bride are foster parents. Uh, tell us about what you discovered um, after taking uh, in uh, a, a young foster uh, a daughter. Right. Well, this is the first foster child we brought in. This is not uh, Andrea, who's actually upstairs listening right now. <laughs> and uh, um, our our first uh, foster daughter we brought in, we, we, we only had her for a few months, and the whole point was to reunite her with her mother, who had just gotten out of prison. But when she came to us, um, you know, this this little girl gets brought to our house. She's 11 years old, and this, this people come to our house, and suddenly... You know, she's got to take this pill, she's got to take this pill, she's got to take this pill, she's got to take this pill. It's just like, whoa, for real? You know, I've never met a little kid that needs to take all these pills, you know? And when you talk to her, she's like, yeah, I never had to take pills but before I, you know, got taken away from my mom. You know, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't have all these things that they saying I have, you know, before I got taken away from my mom. I got taken away from my mom and suddenly... I've got to take this. And we found out that this girl had been in a, in a group home. And basically, it's an industry. I mean, you know, the, your average foster home is not doing it to adopt or to add on to their family like, like we are, because we can't have children. Uh, they do it for money. And so when you're doing it for money, as most people are here, uh, the name of the game is how many kids can we get into our house all at once. And the more and, problem and, children you have, the more you ratcheted up the uh, the amount of money right, you take. Exactly. In. So the, the more kids you get in your house, the more money, and and the more problems. Like you, like you know, you can categorize these kids as they go up these categories, and and every time if it, you have a kid like, oh god, if a kid threw something at you or like threatens you, like oh my god, you can like quadruple the amount of money you get. Along, along okay. with that comes like they, you drug them more. All right, we'll take a time out. We'll come back and we'll talk about um, the over-medication of our children. Back with more of Kevin Booth on The Conspiracy Show. She talked to parents who've lost their children to drugs. Right. And they will inevitably say that they started off with marijuana. They probably started off with milk and then went to beer. And then they went to bourbon. And then they might have gone to marijuana. The gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Passcodes, personal identification numbers, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are... Here's more numbers, 416-360-0740. We'll try to squeeze your calls in before the uh, the top of the hour here. In conversation with Kevin Booth, who is an American film and video producer, Sacred Cow Productions, and his new film, American Drug War II, Cannabis, a Destiny. And Kevin, we were talking about uh, uh, being a foster parent, and uh, you brought this young uh, woman, a girl, uh, 11 years old, 11 years old, into your house, and uh, you were ordered... Uh, to administer these drugs to her. She was taking, what, sleeping pills to go to bed and then essentially a version of speed to wake up. Isn't that right? Yeah, Adderall. I mean, I don't know how popular Adderall is in Canada, but, I mean, it's it's huge here in America. I mean, the college kids all take it to to, uh, cram the books, and Adderall has become like a real popular uh, phenomenon here in the States. In fact, there's... 
you actually hear on the news sometimes like Adderall shortages because so many people are taking it all at once. So yeah, she came to us from a group home that had 10 other children and simultaneously um, the children were all put to bed at 7 o'clock at night with sleeping pills and then they were all woken up at 6 in the morning and giving Adderall uh, then to go to school. And I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, she was taking like 30 milligrams a day, and I'm like breaking the law by even saying this. But I mean, I just tried like a like a like I'm talking like a a sliver of one of these things. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. Oh my lord! Little, she's eleven. Girl. She's eleven. Yeah, she's eleven. She's like the size of a rail, too. I mean, did you when when she was in your home? Did she have any sort of behavioral problems which would demand that she be no, taking? No, 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 like that, no. No. And who ordered her to take these? Was it a, a doctor or a caseworker or a social it's worker? It's like, yeah, I mean, basically the, the people that run these groups, it's, it's really what you find out about. It's, it's like, it, imagine if you had to fly a bunch of animals uh, in a plane, and what would you do? You'd probably give them all Valium, right? So these people that run these group homes, they, they treat the children like cattle, and, and that it's like, okay, it's all time to go to bed. Everybody needs to go to bed now, like take the pill. So everybody's time to wake up and go to school, take the pill. And it just basically, um, as uh, Stephen Downing in the movie, who's like the former deputy chief of police of LAPD, says, it's like, you know, he says, we don't drug our children, and, and people don't mean to do it, but it's really it's the institutions that our children end up in, and they do it to just basically keep the log jam. And, I mean, you could sit there and go, oh, people are evil, this or evil, but... The reality is, is that there's 30, there's over 35,000 children caught up in the foster system in LA County alone. That's just this one county. 35,000 children are caught up in the system, and it's just, you know, we're, we're dealing with an institution that's completely outdated of the concepts, and it, it's just completely broken down. And so, uh, pharmaceutical drugs have just been become a way to kind of just control all the, the the social side effects of everything to, to as a way to you know treating these children like animals in my opinion well I, I, everything is upside down we have drug enforcement officials raiding uh, um, a medical marijuana lab shutting them down or denying cannabis oil to young children dying of cancer when the cannabis oil was was uh, reversing the cancer so we have that scenario and then we have on the flip side we have young children being forced to take speed and sleeping pills and if you refuse to administer the, these drugs to to your foster daughter she would have been removed from your home i'm guessing yeah yeah they just take them away from you you know you're not gonna we're not gonna get in trouble or anything like that but the kill must be removed uh let's say hello to james who is in toronto james welcome to the conspiracy show Hi, uh, I'm James Conner. I'm the administrator of Millions Against Monsanto, Toronto. Um, I'd like to add to this by saying that uh, the the whole reason that this is happening, basically, is, I mean, we're talking conspiracy. Monsanto basically wants to take control of the world's food supply. And the reason that marijuana has had such a hard time is because it's something they can't take control of. It's a, And it basically is a cure-all. It, it basically is a cure for cancer and many other things. All right, yeah, I think... Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, actually, uh, the movie starts off with a little comedy sketch where when I was young, my dad used to cover everything with weed spray, uh, weed killer, and there's actually like a little skit, for lack of a better term, with a really great famous actor named Rick Overton uh, playing my dad where we make a joke about how Monsanto was trying to, like, 
sort of, you know, finally taking control of this whole out-of-control Mother Nature thing. And so, you know, the name Monsanto actually comes up in the film, but we kind of, you know, treat it in a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek way, but we, we, we drop that name in there. And cause there's a lot of other films that actually go directly after Monsanto, but I, I completely agree with you and know what you're talking about for sure. How many? Do, uh, I'm not sure if this statistic comes up in the uh, in American Drug War Two. Uh, although I think specifically you mentioned Florida and the number of deaths attributed in one year to OxyContin. Uh, but do you have any handle on how many people uh, in the United States die from even taking prescribed drugs in the proper way? Yeah, well, I mean, on top of that, and there's just not enough time to go through all these stats, but. People, uh, there's insane amounts of deaths from people just taking Tylenol and Advil. There's there's incredible like uh, death stats uh, for cold medications and just even like antacid pills and just crazy things you would never even think of as being dangerous or like have like way more death stats than all the illegal drugs combined. Uh, so it's just you know there's there's just no argument you know and, and and the only argument these 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 drug warriors can ever come up with is this whole two wrongs don't make a right you know thing and it's just they know they're wrong and you know and, and when you get them on the fence and you get them alone they they can never argue it they just it's almost like they're just having to play out a sketch or they're just playing a character but you know they're they're still getting a paycheck and as long as they're getting a paycheck they're gonna they're gonna support this agenda you know there's a lot of hope. When uh, uh, Barack Obama uh, came into office, uh, you know, uh, a change we can believe in and, and uh, uh, all of that. And, of course, we never get the, the change that we vote for. But uh, he talked publicly about wanting to decriminalize marijuana. Uh, he, he talked, you know, there was a lot of hope uh, on this front from, from this administration, and it never materialized. Why do you think that is? Because I think... The old powers that be kind of came in and knocked him back down to basically show him like who's in control. And at the end of the day, you know, the dollar, the, you know, the dollar is king or I forgot what the exact saying is, but it's, you know, the, the money in the money from all the pharmaceutical corporations and tobacco and alcohol and all the power and lobby interests that are basically fighting to keep marijuana from being legalized, uh, at the end of the day, just they're just unstoppable. One of the uh, uh, interesting points, and another one of the interesting points raised in the film, and, and you talk about when you uh, you were driving down the street one day and you saw the same drugstore on opposite sides of the street. I mean, I, I see that up here in Canada. You might have a Tim Hortons or, or a Starbucks, uh, you know, on, on the northeast corner and then on the southwest corner. Uh, but you saw the same drugstore on the on, you know on the same street right across from each other the proliferation of drug stores uh, you know they're shutting down bookstores and they're sh- shutting down grocery stores in neighborhoods but there are more and more drug stores popping up everywhere I mean that speaks volumes okay. doesn't it yeah it's crazy I mean we have CVS now and CVS and, uh, yeah yeah here in, in Studio City down the hill from where I live in this neighborhood there's there's over like there's about 30 major pharmacies I'm not talking about little pharmacies I'm talking about like big pharmacies about 30 major pharmacies in a two-mile radius, um, which is pretty insane in my opinion. And so while on the news they're like going like, there's more marijuana dispensaries than there are Starbucks. It's the end of the world. It's the end of the world. You go driving around, and it's pharmacy, 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 pharmacy. And then you even get to the point where it's just like there's 
is, you know, not even like two different pharmacies across the street, but it's just like Starbucks where you're going, oh my God, there's like a giant CVS on this corner across the street from a giant CVS. It's like, it's like you can't cross the street. Like I need, I need to get my prescription from CVS. I'm too lazy to cross the street. It's like you got to have one on both street corners. It's like incredible. And it just, they're just going and going. Like there's a, uh, a story that we put in the film about them closing a, a neighborhood Barnes and Noble that had become like the favorite meeting place for uh, kids and, and uh, you know the whole neighborhood, and uh, what went up instead of the Barnes and Noble was a CVS. Mm. We yeah we do love our prescription drugs, don't we? Um, there's we got to leave folks with some good news here, uh, and I and I think there is some good news in the film. I mean, you, I'm very impressed by some of the uh, the people that are working. Uh, you know, getting back to cannabis again, the, um, the, you mentioned the Dr. Abrams, an oncologist who, who's uh, conducted these very, uh, reliable studies on, uh, the efficacy of, of, um, marijuana. Uh, you also have, as you pointed out, this, this, this organization called Cannabis Science. Now, are you hopeful that, that, uh, the, the, the folks at Cannabis Science, that this is the way, really, through their, you know, efforts to educate uh, people, this is the way that we're finally going to come to our senses, get the drag the government to their senses in terms of uh, of the the benefits of, of cannabis. Well, I mean, you know, I don't. I think basically, Cannabis Science is a corporation, is a company run by some like highly evolved, really cool, smart people whose heart is in the right place, but they're. You know, they're playing the game. You know, they're, they've decided that they're going to play the game and they're not going to try to reinvent the wheel as far as like how the FDA works and how the whole process works because it's silly to think you're going to do that. And so they're, they're working at, you know, playing the game like any other drug to basically get actual natural plant derivatives pushed through the FDA process. And it could be a long process, but you know, they've gone public and, and, uh, you know, it's a lot of good things happening around them. Uh, and again, um, let, let's uh, just spend a, a moment telling us uh, a little bit about Sacred Cow Productions. Uh, the, the website I've linked up to you uh, to, to Sacred Cow on my website, so it's sacredcowproductions.com, uh, and there people can go and learn more about American Drug War II, Cannabis Destiny. Um, there's also, of course, um, uh, the Bill Hicks story that you're working on. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, well, I'm not, now, I mean, the Bill Hicks movie already came out. There was, like, the last Bill Hicks, you know, I've got, you know, I, I produced a lot of Bill's, uh, movies and records after he passed away. And, um, you know, there's talk that, that Russell Crowe has bought the rights to do, like, a Bill Hicks biopic. But, you know, these guys in England, um, Matt Harlock, and, uh, put out a, a film called American, the Bill Hicks story. It's a really great documentary. That's the one I'm referring to. Yeah. American. The yeah. Bill. Yeah. If anybody hasn't seen that and you're a Hicks fan, you should definitely check that one out. It's, it's, it's everywhere. You can Netflix it, Amazon and, you know, iTunes everywhere. Um, so yeah. Listen, and, uh, uh, as far as, as far as the website, you know, uh, also, you know, go to, we'll start working on American Drug War. I mean, basically, you know, if you go to americandrugwar.com right now, it's still the old film, but like, you know, as soon as like the new trailer for the new film comes up and, and all that. And like I said, I mean, you're, you're way ahead of the pack. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like on some tour junket right now for the film. You just happened to come along. You didn't even know I had this new film. You just happened to come along at the exact moment when I was getting this thing ready. So That's right. You're way ahead of the pack, brother. Uh, finally, um, uh, 
I know that uh, Kashi's uh, dad uh, um, has put together sort of an organization. Or what can you tell us ab- about that? Uh? Right. Well, just Google Cash High Foundation, and uh, it's really you know they they're really working. It's a really professional deal, and they're they're you know, going around to all the little uh, children's uh, cancer hospitals all over the country, and they they bring these things called reggae runners, or like these little toy cars that the cancer patients, little children can play around in, and they can put their IV. Uh, bags and everything up on on this stand and so it's basically um um you know just just a way to serve little cashy and um just help other children going through just the most unbelievable hard harsh thing i mean it's just it's just mind-blowing to think of what it must be like to just be born into this world and then get cancer you know Mm. Until you witness it firsthand, you just—it's just like it's just unbelievable. An unimaginable uh, horror. I don't know how you know parents uh, cope and survive. I don't know that you ever do. But uh, listen again. Congratulations on American Drug War Two. We'll talk about uh, seeing how we can get you up here and screening that up in uh, in Toronto. I know it'd be received very love, well. I would love to. Yeah, that sounds absolutely great. We will do it. Kevin, thank you for this. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you soon. Okay. Kevin Booth, American Drug War II Cannabis Destiny. RichardSerrett.com is the website, and say hello at Richard Serrett.